Um, so the the basic idea we want to talk about today is what we've seen like your, your most recent two books. But yeah, you don't even have to tell me. You awesome. just run, and we're gonna we're, we're gonna do it. Hello, all. Welcome back to Around the Shabbos Table. I'm your host, Aaron Wogelanter, and I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Wogelanter, a.k.a. The Father. We have an amazing guest today, Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, author of many books, as you will see. And we're going to talk about his writing career. We're going to talk about his most recent two books. And stay tuned for the end of the audio-only version, where Rabbi Seltzer even turns the tables and asks some important questions to The Father. Please enjoy, and remember... Around the Shabbos Table is a project of IntentionalJew.com and the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. Go check it out, subscribe to the newsletter, and check out our new podcast, Beyond the Book. And now, let's get Around the Shabbos Table. Okay, and welcome back to Around the Shabbos Table. We have with us today um, an awesome guest. His name is Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. Rabbi Seltzer, here's a little intro for you, and he's going to tell us more about what he does and why he does these things. And then we'll just fold them up, put it aside, We'll have a conversation. Okay. That's the idea. Rabbi Seltzer is an author, a columnist for the International Hamadiyya Magazine. He is also the producer of Visions as well as a co-producer of The Story Experience, which I listened to yesterday and I thought was very funny. He has produced movies from his books and he's a producer of the Shir Hadasha Boys Choir. He's currently a popular international speaker who teaches in various post-high school programs for American students studying in Eretz Yisrael. His most recent book is Living Legend, uh, about Rabbi Grossman of Migdal Amik. He's also just recently written a book on the Rebbitzin, the story of Rebbitzin Esther Youngreis, which we will get into um, hopefully in the pod, and we'll be able to talk more about the significance and importance of these books. Um, so just as we get started, I always like to ask my guests, because it's called Around the Shabbos Table, and it's, as we see, it's an avoda um, for Klai Yisrael to make a good Shabbos table, and I think we get a lot of people we've seen get caught up in uh, in Chumash Torah and Vertlach, maybe they've learned in in brisks, and they thought that's what the way a Shabbos table is supposed to go with a two-hour Chumash year. Um, and we've seen that that's that's created challenges. So, Arisalt, I open the floor to you, but uh, tell us, give us like give our listeners, give us a uh, a Shabbos tip. How do you make an engaging uh, an engaging Shabbos meal? Okay, so we usually have we get usually about fifteen phone calls a week from seminary girls asking to go to Shabbos. We're this is already uh, 10 years like this, and every year it just gets, you know, more and more. Um, the sisters, the cousins. So it starts, like, pretty much now from the first week of the, when they get here, and they start calling. And uh, usually we could have five, six girls. This past week, I think we had six or seven at every meal. So the first thing I do is right after we, everyone, we start eating the first course, Friday night. And then I go around the table, I ask everyone to introduce themselves, ask some standard questions. Where are you from? How many children in your family? What do your parents do? What do you want to do? And then after everyone, know, we know who everyone is, then I, what I do is sometimes I'll divide up, let's say it's different seminaries, or even not. So I'll divide everyone into teams, and I'll go around the table, I'll ask questions, but it, from, it could be from the parasha or just anywhere, random questions like, Dovah uh, you know, Rus and Orpa, how many kids did Orpa have? Uh, who killed those kids? What happened? What's the story? And then there's points, and whoever, and then usually they bring candy platters to us. So whoever gets the right point gets the candy, and, and then we have a contest. Who wins the contest? And that's how I start off the Suda, and that can go into the soup already, or kind of even to the end of the soup. And it's like 10 questions to each team, and, 
And by that time, every, everyone, so basically the whole meal started with, with Torah, but it was a lot of fun. Nobody was bored. Everyone was excited. It was, and then after that, either if there's a story in the Amodiyah that I wrote, I'll read them that story, or they can ask me whatever they want, or the conversation go in a million different directions. But we started off the meal with Torah, and it was fun. And in the morning, I'll read from them, from Zereshimshin, which is a book that I wrote, uh, one or two varts and the story that comes with it. So yeah, there's definitely Torah at the meal, but it's given over in a fun way, that engaging way that people are just fun and they're not bored and they're not like lost. They like they don't get lost. That's the not kids, not. the kids are engaged also. The kids are sitting there with me at the table, and uh, you know by now. So it used to be that the kids sometimes were their own team, but you know now they're already. You know it's been so many times they're a little bit less in the team, but they're definitely around the table and they're uh, part of it for sure, hundred percent. That was one of the reasons why we started doing this. My wife said you have to do something which is that everyone's going to be involved in, all the kids and the guests. So I felt this was a great way to do it, and that's uh, that's how we got into this like this whole mahalach. And uh, that's that's what we do, and it's it's a great way to to make the Shabbos table come alive, and really to accomplish what you want to do at a Shabbos table. Just out of curiosity, where do your kids sit at the table? Oh, so my son, my oldest, my daughters, this is the way it works. I'm at the head of the table. My older son sits on my right side, right next to me. My second son sits on my left side, right next to me. My wife sits next to him on the left side, and then my two daughters sit on the other, right next to the one next to my wife, one next to my oldest son. That's the way we do it, and then whoever else is there. Around the uh, that's the way and there's never fights. Who gets to sit next to Tati? You know, well, they're both sitting never. next to Tati. The boys, the girls know that the, the boys have to sit next to Tati, and uh, it's like they understand that, and uh, they're right next. They're just one one seat, you know, away. But yeah, there's set seats pretty much, and everyone knows their seat, and everyone's happy with their seat. <laughs> just as an aside, I, um, we've spoken about this many times, even on on the podcast, but. The uh, Rebetzin Weinberg, Rabbi Yaakov's, Weinberg's wife, um, I once had an opportunity to schmooze with her, and uh, she was very interested. I was out of town, in a small town, raising my kids in a, in a small place, and then we started talking about Shabbos. And um, she she beat me up when when she it was it was early on in the piece when we just we just got started in this, and you know my kids were very little, so we put the guests close, and then the kids, and and she let me have it. And from that that time on, it's always been my kids first, and then everybody else afterwards. And uh, it's an yeah. it's an amazing thing. That's, I think it's you know I give my daughters um, grape juice. I say this is for you, uh, even if you're younger. This is the chal is for you, and after that the guests get. Meaning you're number one, and the guests are great. We love the guests, but you are number one, and you'll always be number one. And that's the way it is. I, as a father, I, I'm very much into. I love you. I love you. You need to know I love you. It's not understood. It's not, no, yeah, you have to verbalize these things. I think it's so important to, you know, kids need to hear that. And you got to say it all the time. I love you. Yeah, we say, we say I love you. We're verbal, but. It's very important. E- even if it's hard for a parent, kid needs to feel that, you know. It's not enough to tell. He knows. Maybe he doesn't know. <laughs> you need to tell him. Tell him. Also show him, but tell him. You know, it's a pellet that, that we actually, th- this is actually a tremendous, a tremendous to us because many people, not only not only Bali Chuva, but many people don't actually know. There's, there's no instruction manual that comes with how to set up a, a Yiddish home. And what, no matter what they've seen from their parents, and they haven't always seen guests from their parents, and then they come into situations where they have guests and they don't know how to integrate that into their families. Right. And to talk about that is actually an important right. thing. It's a very important thing. Um, yeah, but you really need to get it right. Guests could be the best thing in the world, but you have to know how to... How to there's, there, are, there are definitely rules. There are definitely uh, boundaries that need to be in place, like anything. 
If you're teaching in a seminary, if you're teaching in yeshiva, whatever you're doing, you need to know as a rav, there's boundaries. How many stories there are about rabbanim who don't understand the boundaries and mess it up. So like anything in life, boundaries are just crucial. Crucial. How do you, so you don't have boundaries on Shabbos, you always have guests. No, we have boundaries. No, first of all, no, we leave certain weeks free. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> very important. That's am- on the calendar, you'll see it. Super important, public figures and, and people who are part of, you know, having lots of guests. It's important to know that, that you have that. And I just want to note that, that when I saw you guys, um, when I just met you last week in, in Tiberia, I felt that there was this, and it's miktas, shvacho, but but I do feel that there was a an energy that your family had together, that everyone was, you guys were enjoying enjoying the vacation together. Right. And everyone was. And I asked them, what, what are you going to do? And I heard everyone's opinion. What are you going to do? Or, what, what's, the, what's on the plans for tomorrow? And everyone was excited, even though it wasn't in their world in this. And, uh, and I just felt that you've, you've created that. So it's important to know that it's not just by having guests. It's also by taking time off. A hundred percent. And very important to take time off to be with your wife. At least you should be going out to eat with your wife. You should be going away. When I finish writing a book, we like to go away for a night. Um, crucial. Because, again, your kids are going to grow up, and it's going to be you and your wife. And you better have a good relationship. And that comes with a lot of work and investing time. And if you don't do that, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to wake up one day and be like, I don't even know you. So you got to invest the time so that you like being together. Yeah. We had a hard time when we became um, empty nesters very early on in the piece because we sent all the kids away to Yeshiva. That's right. So, so my, my youngest daughter, we were, we were still pretty young, and uh, when we sent her away, we had to make sure that when they would call, it was like, oh, you know, <laughs> we're working on it. It was like we were, we were having such a great time. It was, oh, it's a little hard, you know, we miss everybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. They, I lost my, my train of thought there, but the, um, oh, yeah, so I always feel that when, it, when on Bain Azmanim time, you know, you go out to Tavari and you see uh, families, so, being from San Diego, my my idea of vacation is where there are no Jews. You know, you go as far away from Jews and you just stay away, and that's vacation. It could be nothing to do. You're in the middle of nowhere, and that's and that's vacation. Second, you see a baseball cap with the the Yankees, you're done. You're out. <laughs> that's not vacation anymore. They ruined it. So I still have that in me. I admit. And when so obviously I chose the wrong place. I went to Tavari, which is a highly religious area for vacationers, and. Um, right away I have to deal with that, that emotion, that feeling of like, okay, they're Jews, they're Jews, they're Jews. Anyways, I'm in Israel, which is, yeah. I'm an idiot also, right, <laughs> for, for that. But I'm just saying that, you know, I go there and I, and I always, we parked the car the first time, you know, and I'm like, I got to deal with that emotion. Okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's still vacation, even though they're Jews, we're good. And the, the thought that comes through is what you, what, what you mentioned, Herbert Seltzer, is that families and husbands and wives spending time together. This is what Ashrenu is. This is what we do on our Benazmanim. And it, it changes my whole my whole perspective. I sit down at a restaurant and it's full of people like me doing the same things like I am just trying to spend and, and capture a few minutes with their wife without their kids. I had one kid with me, but without Very their kids. Very cute kid, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> really cute. The Seltzers took to him. Yeah. I, All the yeah, girls Yuda. took him. Yeah. Really adorable. <laughs> he, was the, uh, he was the party there. But yeah, it's it, it's and it, and that's the that's the switch is that Ashrenu is that this is what we do in Azman and we find someone maybe someone can take the kids for a minute so we can go out and spend time and re um, recalculate ourselves and, and mm-hmm. re um, reconnect to our wives and to our families because that's ultimately the building blocks of right. of every Shabbos table and everything we do every Pesach we're coming into but everything we do is is our wives and our families and that's important. Uh, talking about baseball caps and 
I went to Paris. There's two Europe stories about baseball caps. So one was in Paris, and when we got to Paris, my wife told me, and we got off the train in Paris, and she said, you need to wear a baseball cap. So I, I put on a baseball cap, and I said, I said, I said look at me. <laughs> look at me. It's, there's no way that, that somebody looking at me is not going to know I'm Jewish. I said, I'm taking off the baseball cap, and I'm going to walk around with my yarmulke, and if they want to start up, then... You know, maybe I'll get hurt, but so will they. You know, like you know, but it's not going to help if not. You know, with the yarmulke, without the yarmulke, you 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 got to be yourself. Obviously, don't go to dangerous places, but you know, it's okay to walk by the by the Eiffel Tower with the yarmulke. And a different time, we were in Venice, and we were on one of those boats. And all the way across the other side, you see another boat, and you see people in the baseball cap. And everyone's like, "Hi!" Everyone's waving each other. It's so obvious, you know. It's very funny. You see Jewish people on vacation. It's just very funny. We used to go to SeaWorld on Cholamoid. And uh, and see where they would come from all over the place on Cholamoid. Shamu. And Shamu, yeah. And just to pick them out, the, the guys were always dressed in shorts and baseball caps. And, and, the, girls were, and the girls were just like, you know, right. like Bishaka like girls. So you, know, you see the guy and you go, I wonder. And then you see his wife and kids. Oh, I know who you are. Right. Oh, usually the payers are a dead giveaway. <laughs> they have the little... Right. Um, okay, so that's terrific. The So so just talking about your your... Most recent two books, and I and I saw something interesting. It was I was looking through um, the list of books that you've written. There are there are some I would say there are a few maybe three categories here of books, but you would have stories of very, pretty big focus on real stories about real people, even if that's a title. But I'm just saying that the, right. you know true stories. live stories, true stories, things that are that are life happening, um, and then you have the Torah stuff, and then you have books on on Gedolim and on great Jewish leaders. And, and those in the beginning also novels. I started with novels. novels. But that I, I, I moved away from. Yeah. Okay. Well so then, well let's start with that. Why did you why did you move away from novels? I, I, I pretty much said what I wanted to say. I, I, I had a couple of things I wanted to say and I and I said them. And I was done. Kind of you felt that the novel was a way of, of yeah, presenting yeah. an idea. Either that I feel like Jews in in America are very comfortable in the sense that they build these big houses and, and it's creating a lot of animosity. And I and in the link I wrote that and all different things that were interested in me and fascinated me, like the Holocaust, and I, and I addressed that in the network or whatever different historical things. And I said what I wanted to say. And, um, that, and you know, and those novels happen to sell a lot less than other types of books. And they take a lot more work. So with all those things considered, I, I didn't. I don't feel that a lot of people say, "How can you not? How can you not writing anyone else?" Well, I said what I said, and I, I don't feel like. Was I it a conscious decision to move on also, to something else? Also, well, other things come along. Right. So I was also doing at the same time other things, and kind of you, you know, I, I always, I just feel like Hashem takes me in a certain direction a lot of times. Pretty much, in definitely in the writing career, I've seen a very clear. Akadosh Baruch Hu directing me. I've, I've just seen it from the beginning, so I just like, kind of like I, I just follow what Hashem tells me to do here. Really amazing. See, there's no like creative process that I, I have to write a novel. I have to get in the beginning. Idea. I really wanted to write certain novels. I mean, the network. If you read it, it's it's really a, a very broad book, and it discusses the idea of the Fourth Reich, of the Germans. What would they have done if they wanted to to win without shooting a bullet? What would they do? And it's just a very broad book. It's a very special book. I love that book. I, I, I invested a lot of time and energy in that book. Uh, okay, I'm happy. I'm proud of it. It's a great book. But, you know, to be a Jewish novelist is not like, it's not what we aspire to be necessarily. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You're providing, you know, quality entertainment for people. And they're not going to read, let's say, other things they shouldn't read. 
But in, it, in and of itself, it's, I would say it's lower down on the list if I'm going to decide how to divide my time. I would much rather people say it's not, it's not true. I want to read something that's true. I've read countless times. So I, I focus on what's true or good daylim or, or great people that you, you, know, you look at and you say, I want to be like this person. This has changed me. I've been changed. Or Taira, Zerashimshan. It's people, thousands of people every Shabbos are learning that safer at their Shabbos table. And there are real stories that happen because of that safer. Many people have gotten engaged learning that safer. Somebody just sent me an email that their crazy story, their wife, uh, Fragile X, I think it's called. Uh, you can't, you're not supposed to get pregnant through natural ways. It's uh, very dangerous. And it happened. And now they were very scared, and there was a whole question of abortion, not, not yes, no, and it was a real halakhic shayla, and then they decided not to, and, and then the, his rabbi said, you know, you really should learn Zerah Shemshin, this this safer. And he started learning it every single night, him and his wife. And the baby against all odds was born healthy, and his wife was healthy, and the day that they came back, or he said that they, they had said three kapitlach tehillim, and, and he opened the Zerah Shemshin, and it was exactly the same tehillim that he had said was the vart in the Zerah Shemshin. It was like very clear, the connection between what had happened and his learning. And he said to me, I would love for you to meet your Enochal, he said to me. That's what he wrote to me in the email. It was amazing. And so that's, you know, I want to do another of Zerashimshin because people around the world are really gaining from this. It's real Torah. So you can write a novel and a novel's great. And it's amazing. Do you see the novel as, as entertainment? You mentioned that word before. It's a, on a certain level. It's definitely entertainment. You don't see it as teaching, as a vehicle to it's teach. It's also a vehicle to teach. So is the movie. But it's, if you're going to look at it, it's break it up. St- Percentage-wise, what's, what's happening here? It's, so let's say it's 70% entertainment to 30% uh, teaching. Here, Zerah Shimshin, it's pretty much, the Torah is 100% teaching, and it's written in a way that's engaging, so you're enjoying it. And the stories are, okay, more entertainment, but there's a lot more, I feel, if I'm going to look at that, it's a lot more teaching Torah and messages and, and educating in a, in a non-threatening way which is really the goal we want to give people to learn, and we want them to come out with messages that they could accept, right? In a way that you're not banging people over the head. They're reading it, they, and they're taking it however they want to take it, and uh, I think that's very important. And novels, great. Again, I, I'm happy I wrote the, those novels. They're great novels. The movie, The Edge, is based on my first novel, and it, people, every Cholomayr, are streaming it, and they're buying it, and it's great. I'm very happy, because the firm world needs quality entertainment. But the, at the end of the day, the goal is really... Torah, and it's really chinuch, in a way. We want to give over Torah messages to Kaiser. What do you see the difference between your, your Torah books and, your, and, and the books on G'daylum or personalities? You mean Zerah Shimshin, for example, or right. 48? Yeah. Well, Zerah Shimshin is it's, it's like actual Torah. It's like you open it up and you're reading Gemaras and you're reading Midrashim and you're reading... It's, it's serious Torah. The, the Zerah Shimshin is really... There's a reason... That people, it's hard to read the original. It's because it's very, it's com- it's it's complex. So that's why we had to take pieces that are easy for people to understand. And it's when I sit and when I write that safer, it's it's I'm putting in a lot of uh, of energy to just just translating. It's like you really have to focus. You have to know what you're talking about. You have to know Gemaras. You have to know what you're doing. It's a serious safer. What brought you to the Zerah Shimshon? Amazing. Again, this is what I mean when I when I say Akadosh Baruch This is exactly what I'm talking about. 2007. I'm outside the grow Friday night, Ramat Pichemesh. Nigel Kravitz comes over to me. He says, I got a great story to tell you about my father-in-law. So he tells me a story. His father-in-law lives in Manchester. His father-in-law was sick. And then Michael Svar in Manchester said, learn this safer, Zerah Shimshin. This is Segula. He learns the safer. He gets better. I write the story in Amadiyah. Around the world, people start looking for the safer, but it's out of print. 
And they're looking for it, looking for it. And people are calling me, how do I get the Sefer? And, and eventually, Biyama Pashkas in Williamsburg, he gets into the Sefer, and you saw Zulberg and Rabbi, and Bechemish gets into the Sefer, and, and, they, tra- and, they, and they reprint the Sefer. And then, you, and then a few years later, I, I'm in America, on some sort of, on whatever, I don't remember exactly what I was doing. And Biyama Pashkas tracks me down, and he's like, he meets me in the good of 80th Avenue, can you write another follow-up piece? And I'm with you. All these stories of people who learned the Sefer, and they have seen Yeshua's. So I wrote a follow-up piece in Hamodia called Revisiting. Zereshish Revisited. And that brought in tremendous feedback. And then they're like, you have to write a book in English. So it took, them, it took me time to, to be convinced because I knew how much work it would be. On every parsha, two, three, four, shtiklach. That's a lot of, that's a lot of work. And uh, so I did that. And eventually they convinced me. And I, I said I did it. It was a, it was a big job. And, uh, and at some point I was like, okay, so how are we going to... How are we going to make sure people are going to buy this book? It's Chumash. The Chumash books don't really sell. How are we going to do this? So I, then I thought, what if I put stories in? Connect stories with the, with the, with the Varts and stories about the people who are Then what's going to happen? So I decided to do that. And um, the, res- the response was just phenomenal. People came, my, Mimi Zekan likes to say that, people came for the stories and stayed for the Torah. And it sold. And it, together, one and two, over 20,000 copies. And people want another one. And I, and I listen to, to my people. You know, I take to what they want seriously. And it just really, I feel a real benefit to Klai. So I really do. I think that's one of my tickets to, to Gan Eden. Because here's a person who died 250 years ago without children. He begged people, learn my Sefer. And I said, be with, with, with or without the Segula. At the end of the day, you're learning Taira. It doesn't matter. Does it work? It doesn't work. That's not, a, that's not the point. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, you learn Taira. And everyone loves the Torah. It's great Torah. It's, it's really and, good. It's, and you kept the person alive. Right. We keep him alive. I learned his Torah. It's beautiful in every, in, from every perspective. So Baruch Hashem, today it's a huge thing. The Shurim around the world. And there's, there's podcasts and there's daily Shurim, weekly Shurim, and, and there's thousands of Shurim. And it all started in a way. One of the main reasons it started was from a story in Hamodia. What do you do with that? Right. That's not Hashem. <laughs> it's so clearly Hashem. So, that's what I mean. It, it started, I'm sure, really with the sentence, Zerah who? <laughs> Everyone, you know what a lot of people say? Zerah Shemshah, that was Yeah. That you get a lot. That you get a lot. Anyways, it's amazing. It's tremendous. So, What do you see the difference in your, so go to your, um, your, your uh, stories about, about Kitailim, stories about, about people. What do you see the difference between the ones about people that are alive and the ones that are people that uh, have already passed? What do you mean? What do you mean? What? First of all, what, the, the, is there a difference in Toelis to the Oilam? No, to, to people that are going to read them, is there, is there a difference? Are they reading them in a different way? Are they affecting them in a different way? And, okay. and for you, do, how do you connect to the, to, differently to the personalities? You know, someone that you're writing about that's, that's already gone, that you might not have had a relationship with, how do you how do you relate to that? Right. And somebody who's, okay. who's alive, you can access all the information about them. All right, so it's, 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 the question is two-part. How do I? How, what's the difference for me? Or what's the difference for the people? Right. All right. So, just as an, an addition to that, just to what my father's saying is that we see that the things that you're doing are a labor of love. This is something that you've connected to, and you you almost won't write it. It seems that if if it's not going to connect to you, and if it hasn't been sent to you, and you see that the path from the Bonishalom, so then now when you take that and you say, well, how's the difference between you know researching someone you don't know, and perhaps somebody okay. who is alive? So I'll get, so th- what you just you brought up a very interesting point. The point is, and this is this has to do with anyone who's teaching, is you want to be successful in the classroom, that you need to be passionate about what you are teaching. That, that's step one. You want to be successful. You want to be a good teacher. 
how do you have classroom discipline? So some people don't naturally have classroom, and they, and then, in my opinion, they're not born to be teachers. But if you have it, even there, it's not going to work if you're teaching something that you are not really interested in. It's not going to work. Why? Because people don't. If you're not interested. They're not going to be interested. You need to be passionate. Your material has to be good. You need to be passionate. Now, once you're passionate, people pick up on that. So I'm passionate about what I teach. I'm passionate about what I write about. So now, the project comes. Now, Rebbe's a young guy. She's not alive anymore. So I, I met, I spoke to like almost 100 people. And I really got to know Rebbe's young guy really well. I, I really know her. I know everything about her life. I know a lot of things. Not everything went in the book. I feel like I know her. Do I know as good as I know Rabbi Yossi Wallace or, uh, or Rabbi Grossman? No. Because I, but I, do I know her well? Yes, very well. So for me, I feel like I know them both. Um, Legabi, the people, I think there's definitely a mila to writing about people who are alive for two reasons. A, people feel like, oh, they're alive. I want to meet that person. People are very excited about that. They really are. They want to meet girls. Can I go to Rabbi Grossman Shabbos? Oh, let me, help me speak to Benjamin to Rabbi Yamin from inside their homes. Let me speak to Rabbi Wallace. And he, so it's really, it's like you're giving people a resource that because these people are great people. So people are very happy about that. And number two, there's another reason when it comes to why alive people are better in the sense that you're talking to the person happened to. Who knows better about their life than the person? I would much rather interview the person himself than people who knew the person because I'm getting the real story. Let's say, for example, Rebbe Youngrass. I really wanted to know, how did she become close to George W. Bush? How did she end up speaking at the Republican National Convention? How did that happen? So I, I kept on asking every person I interviewed, how did that happen? I don't know. How did that happen? I don't know. Finally, I meet someone, and he says, well, I'll tell you how it happened. I brought her there. I brought her to, to, to whatever it was to... To that convention uh, where BB speaks a lot of times, what's the, the the big Jewish convention that they have in Washington a lot of times? The G, the G, the G, oh, APAC. APAC. I brought it to APAC, and they didn't want to let her speak, and we rented a suite, and then everyone was in her suite, and eventually they had her speak, and she was the star of the show, and that's how she met all these big Republican donors, and and uh, so she she you know pushed Newt Greenwich against the wall, and he's like, you have to help Israel, and he's like, I do, Robinson, I do, and you know eventually George W. Bush asked her, she's the keynote speaker at the Republican National Convention, which. That's a circle closing because that's where she made a big event 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier in Madison Square Garden. And that's how she kicked off Hineni. So you can imagine what she was feeling 20, 30 years earlier. She's standing on the stage in Madison Square Garden, felt for him, kicking off Hineni. And now, 30 years later, wherever it was, she's seeing the fruits of her labor and she's getting standing ovation from America. How's that for a Holocaust survivor? And did you think the quality of the story... For um, like for the listeners, for them to connect is different from somebody who's alive, whereas it gets a little. Uh... Again, it, it, just because you're getting more details, but if you, the rabbits in the, the, I'm so happy with that book. I love that book. I think it's one of my best books. I, I really, really like that book. I read that book sometimes. She blew. She blows me away. What this woman did. She was I, she was in our community, like many communities yeah, in America, but yeah. she came and spoke a few times in our community, and um, you know. There, there are people in our community a little wary of uh, these kinds of things, and she, she had such an incredible effect on people. I remember as a kid, I think I must have been eight or nine. I have no idea why. My parents were from, no idea why. We went to a Hineni concert, and uh, I still remember some of the people that were there that I remember from camp, whatever, but it had such a profound, and it was little, so it wasn't, it wasn't the information. You went to Madison Square Garden? I don't remember where it was. I, mean, I could very well be that it was if in Felt Forum. If you went to the garden, you would remember. Yeah. No, it wasn't in Madison, it was in Felt Forum. Right. And it could very well be that it was in Felt Forum, but I, it was, it was in anything. She had psychedelic 
pictures and, yeah. and stuff on the wall with the way music. Ahead of her time. Way ahead. Way ahead. And I just remember as a kid just watching that. And and from that point on, every time I heard her name, it was like, you know, tremendous reverence. Yeah. Just uh, just from the what what it what it touched in me. I, I think that the greatest accomplishment of the Rebbets was the fact and this is this is what you see that she's the real thing, is that she ne- had no serious machloikas on her. Think about it. A woman, an attractive woman, getting up and speaking everywhere, to every crowd, and no real machloikas? There you see. This is Hashem Shemayim. This is real. HaKadosh Baruch is on her side, and that's it. You know that Mordechem and David, so there's a song, the song Hineni. Mordechem and David has a song Hineni, which is the, the name he called his album. And the song starts off with a long intro. It's a very long intro. And... It doesn't make sense almost. Why is it such a long intro? And the reason it's such a long intro is because really the Rebetzin was supposed to be speaking in that intro. That was the idea. And in the end, he decided not to do that. I guess he felt that was pushing it a little too much. One step but that was, But that was really the goal. I mean, she was really at the forefront of... She really had her finger on the pulse. She knew what to do. She was a brilliant, brilliant person who just understood and had, had to connect to people and I'm telling the people I met, I mean, from the richest, most, trend, you know, jet setters, re- the, like really the, the pinnacle of Manhattan society, to the simplest people, to the frumest, to the not, everyone just connected in love with her. So this is a story that I'm so happy. It was a real zuchos. And the Youngberg family are f- such great people. I, I love them. I really connected with them. Chaisar Gertzelin, Shlomo Gertzelin, one of the heads of Agudas Yisrael, Mamash Slavi Wolf, you know, the, all, Usher Young Rice, like all the Young Rices, they're really phenomenal people. Like the four four kids, each one, two Young Rice boys, the two Young Rice girls, each leaders in their own way, each continuing the legacy of the mother and the father, who was also a great man. And Bar uh, Hashem, it was a big school. Can you give us like a, a 30 second synopsis of, of what you think her accomplishments or her uh, uh, maybe a little bio of Rebetzin? The Rebetzin came Grace. from Hungary and um, at a young age, one of the pivotal. Moments of her life was when her they're visiting her grandparents and it was snowing and her father took her outside when she saw her grandfather crying and he took her outside in the snow and he walked and he said walk in my footsteps and he said you know Zadie's crying because he understands there are hard times ahead and he's hoping that Kaddish Baruch was gonna look out for you and that speech went with went with her accompanying her everywhere wherever she went the rest of her life and I I didn't know this for a fact but I I felt as she was walking from her dressing room to the stage in the fall forum, she was thinking of that speech. I don't know this for a fact. I am, a, I am, as a person, I feel I know her. I feel that's what she was thinking. I mean, you have to ask the question, there, and I'll just say, you know, briefly, but there was, there's a lot of shtick about her in the sense that, you know, she had a, yes. she had a performance thing. Yes. You know, there was a persona. Yes. And, and nobody cared. Yes. So that, that has to be that that's a shame shaman because anybody else who pulled that kind of shtick. When she was old, her granddaughter told me, uh, who's married to Rabbi Moshe's grandson. She told me that she, st- she was living in Eretzisrael at the time, and her grandmother used to call up in the middle of the night um, in America and call her up and be like, and cry, and cry. She was very old. And she'd be like, as God is my witness, everything I did was L'shem Shemayim. And she would say this all the time. And people would be like, oh, look at her. She's such a good dresser, the high heels, the blonde shaito. As God is my witness, everything I did was L'shem Shemayim. And... Look at the Tamidim. Look who came out of this. The people. Roy Neuberger. I'm writing. I'm working with Roy and his wife. Okay. Now, Leah. To, I'm writing a book about. I'm in about, touch with him to get on the pod as well. Yeah. You bring him on the pod. Hey, definitely. I, I'll be happy to set it up. If you, I, I'm in touch, in touch with him. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Bring him on the Baruch pod. Hashem. And uh, 
I'm writing, I'm working on a book with them right now about because he wrote a book called From Central Park to Sinai, and I said to Roy, I said, now it's time to write the whole story because you know it's been 25 years later since that book came out, and now it's time to say what happened after that. Let's write the whole story, and he and he wanted to do that, and he he had called me about something else, and I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do, I want you. And he said, okay. And that day we decided we started working on, on that project. So um, that's something which is coming up. And um, they are Tamidim of Rebbe Tzion. She made them from, you know, in Newburgh, of all places. So, yeah, she was. So, so this, this is maybe a, a little controversial, but there are times, there are times in, in stories of Gedalim that the, the, Edges of the story seem to be cut off. There's the the rough parts. The, the the rough parts, and then it's you know it's it's presented in a in a certain kind of way, in an idyllic kind of way, which is probably all we need to know. But but nevertheless, they you know the gedolim. Give me an example. Um, I was watching a video with you and 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 uh, Rabbi Friedman, Manas Friedman, and I knew. It's not going to be easy. You asked this question. There was a video on, on YouTube with you and Robert Friedman. Right. And anything he said, you were, you were just, why? How is that true? How could it be? Why is this? It's, it's well, such he's a, saying very controversial things. It's such a wonderful uh, media to have to be able to, to stand up and say, give me an example. Yeah. Tell, tell I, 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 I Friedman, you know, again, he, he's coming from a Kabbalistic perspective and I'm coming from a pragmatic yeshivish perspective, which is, if you're going to make such grandiose statements, man, you got to back yourself up. Right. So I pushed him to back himself up. And he's not really into backing himself so much, but he did. I mean, I pushed him until, you know, like, you, you can't just say things. You can watch the interview. It was a lot of fun with Rabbi Manus Friedman. He's, he's also a legend. We spoke about doing a book. We'll see. We'll see about that. Um, um, but anyways, yeah. So, so, so what do you mean? So the, the, you, you have to imagine that there, were, that there were down days. You have to imagine that there were down times for, for every human being. Correct. And um, to, to, they, they don't need to be spoken about. You know, the whole making of a guttle thing. They don't, they don't need to be spoken about. I'm, I'm, I'm all into that. But, but how, do you, how do you then present the, the person as a real person? I'm really asking about your Avaida. Well, you read this book, right? What did you feel? Did you feel the Gedalim weren't, weren't being presented real? Did you feel there was a certain lack, or you felt I was giving over the Gadol in an accurate way? 100%, but it wasn't a biography about him. It was, it was a story about him. Those were the stories of the cars. Those were the stories of, of them being this humans. This is Rabbi Lifts book. This is Rabbi Lifts book, correct. Right. So, I mean, he was and telling we, it as he saw it. Correct. But, but, but he, was, he was telling that, that piece. He, right. wasn't, he wasn't giving you the whole story they, from the right. beginning We're to the end. now, I don't know, I mean... Just yesterday, was somebody reached out to me. Gedalia Zlats actually reached out to me. A possible project of a certain Rosh Hashiva. I don't want to say it until it actually comes. It, but it's definitely a possibility. So, yeah. So, what are you going to, you know, so. How's it, look, let's say, let's say, okay. The Torah says Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, uh, had a very hard time. Moshe Rabbeinu said, or again, you know. Eliyonavi said, kachas nafshi. I don't want to live anymore. But we're not, we're not the Torah. We, we, we don't have the right to, to reveal the, the vulnerabilities of, and the and the down the, the 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 moments of depression we don't have that that right. The Chazaga to tell us that Shalom Melech heard in his head voices, which is pretty much what he was hearing, right? He was whatever, however you want to look at it. it seems that he was he had paranoia to David Melech, right? I don't think that's not that's not me saying it. It's Chazal telling us that. Okay, it's Chazal of the right to tell us that. 
we have the right to start invading because we want to write about the the, the Gedalim's life. Do we have the right? To, this is not. We're not writing exposés. We're not writing. You know. Trash. We're not, we're not, that's not our thing. We want to write, we want to learn from the God. Am I, do I have the right as the biographer to write about his vulnerabilities? No. I don't think so. I, I agree with you. That's a, that's a great but, point. I agree with you. But how do you take, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not challenging. I'm, right, I'm, 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 I'm saying. I'm questioning. Right. How do you take the knowledge of the vulnerability, not reveal that, but yet weave that in to the, to so the I know mesh. all those things, and I and I and I don't, and I weave it in a little bit sometimes. But I do not. I, there's things which I will. I, a, a person came. I wrote a book about this person, and she came to me, and she's like, "My grandfather, and this rebel, and this rebel, and they did this to my grandfather, who was a rebel." And you have to write that in the book. And I said, "I'm very sorry. You're gonna have to find another writer because I don't write those things about Gedolim. I know it maybe, but I will not write it. You weren't there. You don't know what really happened." And I'm, and even if it's true, I can't write. Now I know it. I know the. I know every book. I know things that don't go in, and that's okay. And and my knowledge of that, and my knowledge of the family, it helps to make the book a better book and a more authentic book. But I do feel that it's not the public's right to know everything. The public has a right, to, maybe not even a right, but you know, it's a bet. It's a it's a privilege to know. But I wanted to challenge that word right. It's but, a privilege to know. I don't right. think you have a right. It's a privilege to know about a Godel and you should be inspired by the Godel, learn from the Godel, and, and, and model yourself on the Godel, even as you understand you're not necessarily the Godel. You're not. But you could hopefully be part, like a little bit like the Godel. But you don't have the right. And people go in the world and the media is like, you have the right. You don't have the right. You don't have the right. Well, it's like in America today, the Jewish people feel they have the right to be treated. You don't have the right. In Barapak, when you're going and you're and you're making Afghanistan in Barabak, did you forget who you are? Did you forget that this is Gullis? You have the right? No, you don't. You should be thanking Hashem. They're not taking you and putting you in gas chambers. I'm not, I am not, this is not fanatic. This is the truth. Don't forget, we're doing thousands of years of Gullis here, and suddenly you're in America and you have the right. You don't have the right. Thank Hashem, America's Bidish Chesed. Go home and stop talking so much and calm it. Just calm it down a couple notches there, everyone. It's appropriate today also here. <laughs> That's a message that... 100%. Calm down. You don't have the right. Yeah. You don't have the right. You have responsibility. You have responsibility. You have, you have, you have representation. You're very lucky. You're lucky. You live in a good time of, of history. But you don't have the right. No, I feel like I'm listening to myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, if I was a rough in America, I would have gotten up and I would have gotten together ton, 10 other Rabbanim and I would have come out with a cold curry. Everyone go home. Go home. But, yeah. 100%. Just to, to this point that, um, you know, you, we don't have this privilege necessarily to know of previous generations of their flaws or maybe their, you know, different different personalities. Um, it just speaks to the importance of finding a Selechara. Find yourself a Rav today, which you can see both the beautiful side of what he does and the human side. You can see when he spills his coffee, what does he say? You can see when he, when he you know, forgets his keys or locks his keys in the car and you can see... How does he respond? You make yourself a book of stories, of gedolim, of, of people who are great who, and how they react. Be, be aware. It's, you don't need to get everything from a book. You create your own. 100%. Find your own rub. 100%. Humans, humans are what we learn from. 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree more. That was the Benjamin Greengrass's message and inside their homes. 
Go out and do it. Not during the Zman, maybe. Not during Seder. But find the Rav. I was very lucky when I came to the mirror. A friend of mine was Barav Nissen Kaplan. And that's why I went to the Shir. And he's my Rebbe. And from then until today, I'm still very close to him. And I'm, I was very lucky to bet on the, I call, bet on the right horse. And I... And I yeah. Send him my regards. He spent a few Shabbos' past. Okay, I will. I will. In La Jolla, California. Yeah, I'll tell him. He is the man. He's an important and a great example of this as well. That when you spend time with him, you see yeah. a human... Human Being, man, but a, great man. A great man who, who who has everything, all greatness with him, and he makes mistakes, and it's amazing to see how he deals with them. That, that's, that's what it is. He's, he, I joke around with him, in a way. I, said, I, I covered the Dirshu's last Siyamashas, and the one before, in Yad Elio. So the last Siyamashas, Rav Aaron Leib Steinman, was, they crowned him as the God Lador, after Eliyashev. And he gave the keynote address. And that was like coming out, as it were, the past Siyamashas, Rav Nisa Kaplan gave the keynote address. I said, Rabbi, you understand what's going on over here? They just crowned you as the future God of Ladar. You realize Sar- this? Sar- Sar- so he, he didn't say to me, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, no, the, he is definitely going to be, you have to understand, we have a huge dearth right now of G'dayli. G'dayli Hadar, okay? We have a few left, and then there's a huge gap of G'daylim. It's not like it was, where there were G'daylim and then there were people waiting to step in. I feel there's a huge gap. And Rav is Kap is, is maybe 10 steps away in the past, but he's going to step in because there are not that many. So he, he has all the ingredients that you need to be a G'dayli Hadar. He comes from the right Yichus, and he has the, the brains, and he has the street smarts, and he has the backing, and he has the talmidim. He has everything th- that you need, the full package. And he's going. He is going to be on the gedolei adar without question. So you've answered my, my next question. Part of my next question. My next question was, if you had um, somebody alive and somebody from the past, that you wanted to write a a safer about. So okay, we got the live one. <laughs> but, Not yet, but yeah, it's going to happen. Yes, we've talked about it. But who is who is a person in the past that if you had the opportunity? and the ability to be able to write about them, that that would be a person that you felt, not only you would want to write about, but that, that Klausel needs to know about this person? I think the Chavetz Chaim. I think I would like to, to have known the Chavetz Chaim. I feel the Chavetz Chaim was, I, I have a term with the starting five of Klausel. And Chavetz Chaim was in the starting five today. The starting so you five. can't drop that without dropping your starting five. So I, I, I'm <laughs> not going to talk about the starting five from then. But today's starting five, so I had a, a starting five, which I had Meir Zlatowicz, Lachon Levracha, Rabbi Zlatowicz was on the starting five, but he passed away. So we had to find someone else. Um, we had, I would say, Michael Rothschild, Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation, Rabbi David Hastad, or Dirshu. Shlomo Zakheim, we could say, was on the starting five in his Hatzalah and his what he did in the Chesed, which you have a book I just wrote a book about, and we'll see when it comes out. But it's... F-32, the man, the mission. Um, Shimon Kolyakov, Torah Anytime. I told him he's he just joined the starting five, and he's very happy with that. But yeah, that's the starting five. They're not G'dayl necessarily. Okay, ha- but yeah, they're so people let's, who, let's define what that. they are doing is changing the face of Kala Yisrael. Of David Hasler with Dirshu, accountability is the word. Rabbi Michael Rothschild with Chavzcham um, Herosh Foundation, Achrayas, to your fellow Jew, Take responsibility for what comes out of your mouth. Use your brain. Are you getting it right? Shimon Kolyakov providing Torah to any masses. Any time. Any time. Yeah. And, and he goes out of his way. Like he met me and he said, I want you to speak at any time. And I was like, uh, and he's like, I have 750 people who 
want to be on Tony time. So I said, what do I have to do? He said, well, you got to get a video camera. I said, I, I didn't see myself doing that. So then he sent me a video camera. And he had a guy come and show me how to use it. So I said, okay, I, I can't. How, once a guy does that, that's it. You can't. Hashem is, again, Hashem is sending it to you. So, okay. So I did it. So now we have like almost 100 speeches on Tony time. Because that happened. But, but he went out of his way to make it happen. And if I, don't, if I slack off, I had corona, I stopped giving speeches for a month, he emails me what's going on. In a very nice way, without pressure, but I know it's coming. I know it's gonna. I knew it was gonna come. So that's these are the starting five. I look at it, starting five. I, w- I was once at an AJOP convention. And I remember seeing that there were tons of cameras that had Torah anytime on that, and they they wanted those videos, so they send video cameras. I take I take Chizuk from that also. With 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 regards to podcasting, is I may have I may do it, and I also want to I want to help. I want to get other people to to podcast and to be able to broadcast their messages as well because. It's good that you know how to do it, but there's there's no competition. It's, no competition. It's, it's you got to get a, the competition is is going to ruin it. You know if you view it as that, and you just got to get them out there. People correct, and help them. So that's right. Um, if people come to me and ask me to to help them get into the writing business, I'm so happy to do that. Please, I'll well, you wrote a few of these books where you basically took stories and and wrote it for them. Right. So, so that's something uh, else. But let's say the person himself want to write. So then I'll be so happy to send the file to Art Scroll or to Hamodia to. Uh, Wherever we could get it in, and if you know if they have what it takes, it's not a simple thing to be a writer. It's actually very challenging, but if you have it, go for it. What What would you say is an akuda that you have it? So, th- what makes what's the question? <laughs> what 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 makes you look at a person and say that person has it? What is the if you're in the talent you business, you're, you say a few people come to you and you see them. I mean, ah, if I look at which writers, and I look at a writer and say, this writer has it, what, what, what element is the, do That's I... That's right. What are, you, what are you focusing on? So, I feel that the, the best writers are the writers who, who know the words to use that make people recognize themselves in what they're reading. They're not that many. Some people are writing what they want to write. What interests them, again... If you're writing what interests you and people aren't interested, then you're not going to be successful. You need to know, what do my people want to read about? And if, and if you're writing what you want to write, because whatever you're going to write about, I don't know, the Maharal, let's say, which is fascinating, but I don't know what, how much of a crowd you're going to get. You'll get a certain crowd. You'll get an intellectual crowd. you get Tamid the Ramesh Shapiro, maybe, right, who love the Maharal. But you're still limiting yourself in a certain sense because... There's a lot of people who, who do, doesn't speak to because they're not maybe holding. They don't have the background to appreciate. They don't have the ideas to appreciate the Mara. So, but if you're going to write true, true stories, let's say, so everyone sees themselves in true stories. But you also have to write in a way that, that's, that's engaging. You can't just write it dryly. Say, what, we embellishing? No, not embellishing. But let, I'll give you an example of something which I did instinctively as a, a young writer, which is, let's say, I was giving an example of somebody driving up north. So I said, as a Yankee, as Yankee turned, as Yankee, as Yaakov Shweki swung into Ma Ma Ma, Yankee swung the car left towards, you know, the, the Jordan Road. What did, I, what, what did I do over here? I basically put Yaakov Shweki into the story. Why? Because Yaakov Shweki is part of your life. You listen to Shweki. Oh, he listens to Shweki. I listen to Shweki. I could be in the car. It could be about me. I, I like this. This is people want to find themselves in the story, bring them in. If you, if it's about you and your world, then why should they be interested? But it, that's my father. He said, "Call the book of short stories. It's all. It could have been you. Oh, it could have been me. Oh, I, I want to read about that. 
I have a main story for you. It's about you. If it's about me, the person says, I want to read about it. And it is about them. It's people like you. People say, "How do you? where do you get your stories from? It's from people like you. That's the story. And they say, oh, really? Oh, let me tell you about, and this happens all the time. Do you write them? Yes. If it's, if right, it's, right away. I mean, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I just got a story two days ago. A guy emails me from Lakewood. And he says, I got to tell you a story. Um, an old friend of mine. Um, I went to the store, Judaica Plaza, and uh, and in Judaica Plaza they have a thing called January Jolt, which is they they, they want to make people come in January, so they send you these scratch offs that you could get discounts. You can get ten percent discount, fifteen percent discount, a fifty percent discount, a hundred percent discount. So the guy comes to the store and he ends up buying some stuff, and they ring him up, and it bam, it's a hundred percent discount now. So from behind, everyone's like, oh ah, they're singing Oy Shama by Yehuda, and they're like so excited. And the guy says, wow, you could have gotten the whole store. Now, you can't get the whole store because it's a $500 cap. But he could have gotten a $500. So he, one would think, wow, I should be so happy. I got $146 for free. He's not. He's walking around with mental anguish that he had this great thing and he didn't maximize it. It's like the lottery ticket. Like You, you change one digit and now you, only, you didn't make the billion dollar payoff. You got 20 bucks. And he says, until I hopped a few days later... Something which gave me back the Yishev Adas. And I said, this is like coming to Shemayim. And in Shemayim, they're going to look at the scratch-off ticket and say, oh, okay, did you, did you maximize your, your davening? Did you maximize your learning? Did you maximize your mitzvahs? And, and, and it gave me such tremendous chizuk because it, it was like a wake-up call. And I said, I love that message. I took the message. And I said, but it wasn't a long enough story to write by itself. But luckily, I had heard another story in the Shabbos HaGadadrasha from Aaron Pesson and Rabbi Chemish two days before. And it was a story about Rosh Shlomo Reichenberg. And he's the father-in-law of a brook who started in Tzvius Olam in Bnei Brak. And he was in a concentration camp with 3,000 inmates. And one day he's walking outside his barrack and suddenly a guy he doesn't know just comes over and starts beating him up. Beating him up like till, ble- till he's bleeding. And he's like, why are you doing this? And the guy's like, and keeps on beating him. Finally, he finishes beating him. He's like, why, why are you hitting me? He's like, come with me and you'll understand. And he takes him to barrack 10 and that's where the arbitrator of the camp sits. There's a judge in the camp who, if there's disputes between the different people in the camp, he's the one who decides what to do. They have this in every, and every area. There's underworld judges. There's always, in the Ganovim world, there's judges. So they're standing in front of him. The guy says to Shlomo Rechenberg, okay, what's going on? He says, I don't know. I'm standing on my back. And this guy just comes on and starts beating me up. I don't know why. I don't know him. So he says, why'd you beat him up? He says, I'll tell you why. I was standing outside. So I'm smiling. Not once, but twice. Now, we're all starving. Starving people don't smile. So if he's smiling, he answers this guy's love to If he's smiling, it must be he's not starving. But how could it be that he's not starving if everyone's starving? Elamai, he's collaborating with the Nazis. And therefore, they're giving him food. And that's why he's not starving. And that's why he's smiling. Says the judge to Shlomo Reichenberg, how do you, how do you respond? He says, all right, I'm going to tell you why I smile. He says, you're coming from the Hanukkah. You're coming from the place that you can only smile if you're full. But what if you could smile for different reasons? What if you could smile for completely different reasons that have nothing to do with you being full? I, a few months ago, along with some of my friends, were able somehow to smuggle a pair of tefillin into the camp. And we put on tefillin every single day. And today I was standing outside the barrack and I looked at the Shemayim and I was like, so happy that I had the, the that in this place, in Gehenna, I am still connected to the Rabbi Shalom. So I smiled, not because I was hungry or full, but because I am connected to Hakadosh Baruch Hu in this terrible place. So he obviously won the court case, but the point is he was maximizing it 
in Gehenna. So which is exactly the, the whole point of that whole story. So I put the two things together and I wrote it on the spot. I wrote the story because I felt I really it, it hit, the message really hit me because who, who of us doesn't think, wow, man, if only I could just maximize my time and really get it right. Like we have this limited amount of time here we have to accomplish, right? That's the bottom line. So that was a message. It just came to me. Amazing. Do you, did, you, did you have any formal training? Or this is all... I tell you a secret here. I didn't go to high school. <laughs> I was I was wondering what college I was wondering what college you went to. Yeshiva Katana, No formal education. But but tra- any kind of training? None, none whatsoever. In in writing, you mean? No, nothing. Not even a writing course. Nothing. Have you done now? Have you taken? No. And by the way, if you look up the best writers on uh, in on the internet, and you look up what makes the best writers. Um, one of the things is no formal education in writing. Because that way it's, you have the freedom to develop your own voice. And that's uh, a very important thing. Um, along with writing every day, with always reading. Um, what about English? Right, so, so if people think that you, the, the fancier words you use, the better it is, but it's the opposite. You're supposed to use simple words. It happens to be I have a good vocabulary, but that's, you're not supposed to overdo it. Because then people, you want, again, the key is connecting to the reader. So if you're making your reader work hard, so some people like that, the average person wants to read clarity and they want to understand without working too hard. So if you could take com- complex messages and, and break it down in a way that people understand without, it seems to them simple, that's, that's the best thing. That's really, that's what, that's what good writing is. Right. You, you made an important point, And this is, you know, I, I, what I'm going to say now probably not going to end up on here. But um, you, you just made a point that, that touched me because I think it's a, for, for me personally, it's a big thing that you, you talked about writing for the people, not writing for yourself. You're not writing to, to express something that you have. You're writing in order to be able to, to give something to somebody else. And, and that, that makes everything we do completely different. Well, we also feel a need to express. I mean, that's, we all want to give. So that's a feeling that we yeah, have. But, 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 but you, uh, we want the people you want to, to get. You want your giving right. to be gotten. Correct. If, you, if you're writing a book and it's not being written, I say, what are you doing? What are you doing? The same is true like for a Rav's Joshua, where if, What's he expressing there at the Josh? Is he expressing... That's right. My father always says... Um, the father, if you ever listen. But my father always says that um, the pressure of the Joshua, which even even years of giving Joshua like this, he still he gets nervous. And I always ask him, what do you, he, you can do this sleeping. Like, what are you doing? And he says he gets... The, the pressure of the Joshua is... Can I touch everybody? Am I going to deliver a message that will resonate with every person here? Not, did I say the best vart? Did I, did I hop it up? Did I, is the best lambdas here in the, in the shtickle? And, and right. is that best pshat? It's, right. are people going to be moved? Can I move them? And that, that is what to be nervous about. <laughs> so one big secret is to use a story. Because <laughs> that touches everyone. That's the, that's the secret. That's really what it is. Everybody loves stories. Because, the message comes across and it's non-threatening. Secret of the story. Yeah. Um, if you could give like a, a message, maybe a, an important message to you that you want people to, to hear, to understand, to uh, incorporate into their lives. <laughs> incorporate into you? their lives. How to, how to live as a better Jew. How to live as a, um, how to connect to the Rebona Shalom better. Um, it is very like, everyone looks at these type of things differently. So, 
I could I could tell you my my philosophy in, in, in certain elements is to is whenever you have a, an idea that comes to you, try to do it right away. Try to start right away. I feel that if you if you do these if if you want to get things done in life, I'm sure of it. The rabbi could could back me up here. This is the way it is. If you want to be matzliach, when you have the idea, the ideas come all the time to people. It's the question is, are you going to use them? And if you you want to get things done, so sit down and do it. Don't push it off. And that's in every and that's in every aspect of life. I really feel like you had an idea. Oh, I should buy my wife a present. Go do it. Go to the store and buy her the present. Don't push it off. But that's in every. And I should take my kid out to eat. So go take him out to eat. Don't push it off. It's in everything in life. I should learn more. So sit down and get a chavrusa. Do it. Do right. it. Do it right away. Don't push it off. Because even the, the greatest ideas, the greatest things will disappear if you don't actually sit down and make it lamaisa and take it down to the practical level. Tis, tis the season for that. Right, exactly. You're right that, that would be my, uh, you know, my piece of advice. But again, I, I, don't, I, don't, really, I don't really give advice in, in my writing because I feel like, you know, like for Corona, everybody's saying, this is why. I'm like, what, are you vice president to God? <laughs> I have no idea why. I wouldn't talk about this. I was the one to write about it because, in general, I've written a little bit about it because it's, it's, people know about it. They're bored by it. They're, they're already bored by it. If I open Mishpacha magazine and I see another article on Corona, or Ami magazine, another article, Amadea, another article, I'm like, okay, we know about Corona. Let's, let's talk about other things. So I try not to write about things which, which have been written about so much that it's like, enough. We have the same issue here on the pod. Is like, you know what are we going to talk about again? Another another uh, the community that's not doing the the nechayot, or another another thing that's happening, or another law, or another lockdown. Like, there's nothing to talk about anymore. It's it's what you can do with it. So we we limit ourselves to what can you do, what can you grow, what can you learn from it. Then it's a conversation. And if it's very just good, news. I, when I started writing, um, I I don't know if this was an overt decision. It was definitely an internal decision, which was to only write about things which are going to be positive to Klai Yisrael and Kodesh I feel that's a big... Uh, I think Siyad Deshmaya comes from being positive. Kodesh Baruch Hu likes when you're positive about Klai Yisrael. Yeah, Kodesh Baruch Hu was very upset at Navi for not being positive about Klai Yisrael. Moshe Benu for not being positive. Anyone who's not positive. Yo, anyone who's not positive Kodesh Baruch Hu, doesn't matter how great you are, Hashem is very upset at it. Or how right you are. Right, doesn't matter. Hashem's like, don't talk about my people like this. Eliyahu Navi says, uh, you know, they were eyes of my bris. So Hashem says, okay, for the next couple thousand years, you're going down to every bris, bris. and you're going to come back and I can say, do you still say that, Eliyahu Navi? That's the bottom line. So we have to be positive. There's a lot of not positive things to write about, and um, I don't want to do that. I want to write about positive. But, but those are the things that you covered before, that why, you, we don't have a right to know about those. We don't need to right? know about we them. we don't. It's not our, we need to write about things. Like some people write about all the divorces, and some people write about this, and they have serials about all these type of problems going on. And okay, that's if you want to write about that, okay, I'm not getting involved. I would want to write about things which are going to inspire Klai Yisrael, like great men like Ravitz David Grossman, who smile just touches a chord in everyone's heart. That's what I want to write about. And that's, that. And, you know, it, I got to tell you, a week, the book's out a week. It sold 10,000 copies. Because Rabbi Grossman, it, it, this is not every book. This book, it's crazy. It, I never had a response like this. Klai Yisrael loves this man. He is like a tati, a zaidi to Klai Yisrael. Everyone, right? This is what it is. Because he's all positive. You understand why? What's the secret of Rabbi Grossman? Positive and love. Positivity. Everyone loves him. From the most 
leftist, he, he is the Messiah Kedushin at Evigda Lieberman's kids' weddings. He is the only one who is the Messiah Kedushin. There's a reason. You know, it's, 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 there's a secret. Secret is being a positive person who loves who loves Klai. So, and I feel that is a big secret. So yeah, we want to talk about positive things. We want to talk about negative things. We want to write about those things. At least writing. We're talking, we talk, you know. Writing, definitely <laughs> writing. What goes into print for, should definitely be, uh, you know. Positive. Positive. For, you know, it's like somebody, somebody wrote a story in the book, uh, Touched um, a Tiny Taste of Heaven. I wrote a book about Hrushes Chalo, right, right before Grossman. So, so in the book, she, want, so she told me a story about a certain person, and, uh, and the person read it, and he's like, listen, don't put that story in the book or change the details. And she's like, but why? We, I told the story about you many times. And he said, yeah, but now it's in a book. In a book... Let's say something else, you know. We could tell the story in a share, but in a book, that already it's it's here now for all time. So we want to tell positive. We want positive. <laughs> wow! Thank you so much for coming on, Rabbi uh, Rabbi Seltzer. This is really awesome. I feel like, um, you know, in my head while I'm doing it, I, I'm writing these lists of more conversations that we can have, and I uh, sure. I feel like a part two should should come once. It'd be amazing. But uh, this is this my is pleasure. what is to sit down. I got this through my father, just being able to have. You know, sit with, with great people and glean from them and learn from them. So thank you very much. So now I'm going to turn the table for a second. I'm going to say, okay. So Rabbi Wogelant, how long were you a rabbi for? 35 years. 35 years. So you're a successful rabbi. You were very well known. You were featured in covers of magazines. They, 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 they uh, you know, you were Zeichet at Tehillah of Rabbanus. So I want to ask you now, what are the five most important things that a Rav should Keep in mind, if he wants to be successful in this very challenging field. Only one thing. You have to love your balabatim. You have to love people, but the people that you are directly responsible for, you have to love them. And, and that's it. Everything else will fall into place. And if, if, they, if they put me in front of other Rabbanim, to, you know, kids that are you know, planning on going in Rabbanis, that's what I tell them. 25 years ago, I would have told them, you got to learn Hilchas Avelis. Very important Hilchas Avelis, especially if you're going out of town because that's all they care about. And, and if in Hilchas Kashas, you got to know basic, simple Hilchas Kashas. That's what I would have said. And, and Hilchas Shabbos, so you can get people to that place. None of that matters. You'll know all of that. You'll, you'll know that. But that's not what you need to know. You need to know that you love Klayasol. You love your people. And then everything. You can handle everything. You can deal with everything. So you find that so so that's what really what separates the the rabbis who are successful from the rabbis who are not successful basically basically. Yeah, you you have to you you have to have a, a backbone. You have to you have to know who you are. You have to know you have to you have to believe in something. But but at the end of the day, you, you got it's it's for the people. Okay. It's not it's not so even the same message. Basically, it's the same message. That's what it is. Because you're not you're not working for you. You're working for the boss. Exactly. So if you I mean you say for you're giving over a certain message, a certain derech, and it has to come through love, passion. And if you have the passion and you have the love for the people and you're doing it for them, then you'll be matzliach. And that's the same thing with in, in, in the Tchum Amin and the Siyat which I, if I was interviewing you and I would ask you for the different times along the path where Hashem said, you know, directed your path. And I'm sure you could tell me, just like I could tell you, you could tell me the signs and the crossroads and how you got to different crossroads and you know, Hashem sent you a direction, an arrow exactly where to go. And, uh, and, and you'll know that. And, and it's clear to you and it's obvious. 
Right, and you feel sometimes bad for people, not that, that it doesn't happen to, but that they don't see those signs. It happens to everyone. To you just have to be, you have to open your so eyes. You have to open your eyes. You have to open your eyes. Like, you really have to, I'm going to tell you one final story, and then we're going to, you know, we'll save, we'll, we'll come back. We'll do it again. It's so much fun. It's such a... Just this, I'm holding myself back. i got to go vote. i got to go I vote. i got to hold myself uh, back on this I'll, one. No, this we're going is... to keep on going. It's great. I'm, I'm enjoying myself immensely. It's, we're such two great people like this. You know, how often do you get to sit around and really just talk about great things? This and, is like, and this and is it's not Travis. By the way, this is this is the idea. I, I we we mentioned this with you, the entertainment. This is not entertainment. If no. you're listening to this, this is you can take something. Oh, oh yes, and, that, and, definitely. This is not entertainment. This is the real thing, but given uh, over in a way that you can listen to. This is teaching Torah, without it calling it a shear, which means that somebody can be engaged in something else while they're doing this. I just had this conversation with somebody who's listening to Pesach stuff. And they said they, they absolutely loved it. They were doing something else, but they, they totally got it without having to sit there and focus, right. which they wouldn't have lasted five minutes on. Very good. So you call it a podcast. Right. You Non-threatening. Non-threatening. <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> but that's, that's the same thing about your books. Right. And that's why I asked you about the novels, because that's, it's just another vehicle. There are people that right. can't read a Zerah Shimshin. Right. A Zerah Shimshin is already, is, a, is already too big for them. It's again. I, I really do. Ha- I do like the. No- I love the novels. The pro- again, like I said, so many people have said to me, but I don't buy novels because they're because they're not true, and I want true. And 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 this this just doesn't justify the amount of time. It's so much work to write a novel. It takes me three months to write a, a regular book. It takes me way more time because it, it's a real. I'm going to tell you one last story, just personal story, about what I learned from my. You know, from me about about. Uh, signposts and that was when I was first starting to uh first trying to get into writing and so I had an idea maybe I'll I was by Berkowitz and I thought okay I had some free time maybe I'll you know Jonathan Rosen has an office across from Center One he dives in my father-in-law school and I know if maybe I'll just go in and uh see if he needs someone to help him so I go there without an appointment I just show up you know and I knock on the door and the secretary can I can I speak to Rabbi Rosen um can I come in? Yeah, sure, come in. I come in. His desk is piled high with all sorts of books and magazines. And I said, and he says to me, and I said, hi, Shemalechem, you know me from my father's from shul. Um, do you need anybody to help you? He's like, listen, it's a very small operation. Me and my secretary, uh, I don't need anyone. Um, yeah, I go to Saul's opening an office here. Maybe you can work for them. I'm thinking, okay, thank you, Shkoyach. I'm not interested in politics. Um, but okay, great. So I walk to the office. I'm like, now what? This is my big plan, you know? <laughs> like, now what? So I said, before I go back to my life, I'm going to try one more thing. And I looked at the directory in the building, and I said, I'm going to take one company, and I'm going to just, I don't know what they do, and I'm going to walk in there, and I'm going to see if I could get a job. Okay? And for the few hours I have, whatever, in my day, let's see. So I just took a company, and they were on the third floor, and I took the elevator up to the third floor, and there's glass doors, and they open up automatic. The doors slide open. There's a secretary at the desk. And it's like a big operation. She was on the phone, and I just walked past her into the office. Just walked in. I'm, I'm walking around, just looking around, and there's all these people and computers, and there's a good vibe, and it's really a nice place. And, and okay, just walking around. And suddenly a guy comes over to me. He says, uh, can I help you? And I said, I, said, I hope so. Um, he says, what are you... I said, um, do you need anybody? So he says, uh, are you a writer? <laughs> I said, yes, I am a writer. Uh, my, my first book, The Edge, is coming out soon. He says, well, we um, run a certain newspaper. I don't want to say which newspaper it was, 
and it's located in a different country, and we are the ones who do it here. It's outsourced to Israel, and we're the ones who put it together over here. He said, wonderful, when can I start? He says, slow down. <laughs> he said, I need a sample of your work, and then we'll see. So uh, I said, okay. And at that time, I still didn't even have a computer. I wrote my first book by hand. So I had it on a disc, a floppy disc, and I took it uh, to a print store, and I printed out 20 pages, and I brought it to how long? I said, how long do you need to, before you give me an answer? He says, give me two weeks. I'm thinking, two weeks? Just read the 20 pages and give me an answer, right? That's what I would do, right? This guy is, this guy is young. He is impatient. He wants an answer. Give him an answer. Remember when you were young. Put yourself into the other guy's shoes. Remember when you were young and you didn't know what your life was going to be like, right? You can help somebody. Give him an answer. All right, two weeks. Fine, two weeks. So after two weeks, he says, he doesn't call me. So I call him back. I said, what's going on? He says, oh, I didn't read it yet. Um, give me a day. So, okay, the next day he calls me back. Well, I called him back. And he says, all right, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's good enough. I said, well, how are you going to know if you don't give me a, like, it doesn't hurt. Just give me a try. Let me write an article and then you'll see. Okay, maybe you're not, got, you're not getting the novel. But it doesn't, no, he doesn't give me that opportunity. He says, I don't know, maybe call Amadiyah, call Mishpacha, whatever. So I got off the phone and I was, I was really upset at this guy for not giving me a chance because it doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't cost any money to give a chance. Say, here, try to write an article, and if it doesn't go, we won't charge you. Give a person a chance. I've done this with many people over the years. Give a person a chance. Whatever it is, whatever field they're good at. You want to write? You want to write for me? You want a video? You want to, we'll do a movie together. Let's, and you know what great things come out from, from this? Because the guy's 18 doesn't mean he can't do great things. All right, so I, 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 there was a copy of Hamadi on the table, and I, and I picked it up, and I looked at it, and I was like, editorial offices, it sounds so, so, so scary. And I couldn't do it. My, my self-confidence was shot. But I sat there, and I wrote my first short story. And it's full of that, like, hurt that this guy just didn't give me a chance. And that was it. I started writing short stories, and it didn't go anywhere. But... A few months later, Bishur Lyman, Zechon Levracha, walks, he's friends with my parents. He was one of the pioneers of the Jewish literary world. He was the editor of Life, of, of Light, uh, right? For children, Light for Adults. And he was, he translated um, Avram and Avram from the German into English. Really a, a, an amazing person. And he comes to my parents' house in Israel and he says, listen, I'm starting this newspaper in America. I'm the editor. And, and maybe, you, I don't even know why he asked me if I could write for it. And I gave him my stories and he published them. And a few months later, the newspaper folds. But already now, I'm a, I published already five, six pieces. And I, and I, and I called up Hamadiyah. And I get to Sarah Chava Mizrahi, who's the editor of the magazine. And I say, are you looking for writers? And she says, of course. So nice. So, so really, so the opposite. Sure. What do you, what, what's your style? And I sent her some stuff. And it took a little bit of time until we, until we found the style. And, you know, but eventually, within a very short time, we found the style, the true short story, and a few weeks later, there was a story that came out in this book called Angry Father. That was right before Hashanah. That was used by every rabbi in America for Shabbos Shuvah Josh. And it was about this old man on a plane and, and the person sitting next to him. And he, and he was eating treif and he saw the number on his arm and he asked him why. And he said, because my kid was killed in the Holocaust. Remember that story? And, and the guy, and it says, this story was huge. It went viral before. The, it was like, this was like the beginning of newspapers. Like for the, today, there's so much. This was, everyone read Hamadiyah. And this is crazy. And then he, he meets the guy. He meets this old man outside the King David Hotel a few years later, and he and he's he's smoking or he's eating on Yom Kippur, and he says, maybe come into the shul and say Yisker for your son, and he convinces him. And the guy comes in and he goes over to the chazan. He tells the chazan the name of his son. The chazan 
screams out, Tata. Tata! Why? Because it's his father. And the old man faints. And he's like, how could it be? I saw them shoot you and they fall into the hole. And he says, no, but mommy fell on top of me. And that was, this story was given over every rub, Kitzer, within a very short time. You know, they're reading my stories around the world. And then about a year and a half later, it's, I'm sitting by someone's house, Shabbos, and there's a lady across the table, someone else, and she says, I say, you look so familiar. Where do I know you from? And she said, yeah, I was a secretary at that company that you walked into. And she gets this look on her face. She says, we know we, we, know we made a mistake, she said. Maybe you'll work for us now. And now, so I learned so much from that story. I learned like, Kodesh Baruch has a plan for you. Don't worry. You wanted a book, it didn't work out. It's okay. Incredible is going to come. You wanted a different book, didn't work out. The Revitz is going to come. Rabbi Grossman is going to come. Zerah Shimshin is going to come. Don't worry. Hashem has a plan for you. You're, you will have what you need to get. Don't, don't worry. What you need to do is you need to try. Hashem sees you trying. He's going to come towards you. And, and, I, and I really believe that Hashem's like, listen, I don't want you to write PR pieces for some newspaper. You need to do other things. You need to write true stories, and PR pieces are important. We need PR pieces. And sometimes I've done that. But that's not what I need. That's not my tachos. My tachos is to write true stories and inspiration and Torah and G'daylam and things which are going to take cholesterol and make them, put them in a higher place and make them want to fly. That's my tafkin, I feel. That's my tafkin. And I learned that lesson. That was a tremendous lesson for me. It's like, you don't have to worry so much. You just have to do your stylus. And then HaKadosh Baruch is going to meet you. When he sees you're serious about it, Hashem is going to meet you along the way. And it's going to be greater than you could ever imagine. Just, just show him you're serious about how that you really want to do for Kaisal and you really want to be Matzlech, he's going to come towards you. And that, that, that taught me that, that lesson for life. Awesome. Beautiful. Awesome story. Thank you so much, Rabbi Thank you for having me.